Before I get started on today's Know Your History, I'd like to talk to you about Carefree Cuisine, which is still operational and still waiting to give you ready-made meals to go from your freezer to your microwave to your kitchen table. Um, Allergen-free, sterile kitchen prepared uh, meals that are great and they can be delivered to you. Tasty, uh, like I said, allergen-free, very, very high quality. Um, uh, the man who puts this all together, it takes extremely good care in putting these things together to freeze them to make you have the, the best quality meals you can get. They got vegan, soon to be low carb meals. Um, and it's going to be, it, it, if you choose to go this direction, Carefree Cuisine is one of the best in Denver. Um, they are located off of uh, Bowles in Littleton in the, in the Columbine Shopping Center. Uh, they are at Cuisine Carefree on Twitter. Uh, you can contact them at info at Carefree Cuisine if you have any more questions. Or you can uh, contact at PG Money on Twitter if you have personal questions about what they do and what they will deliver to you. Um, they have overnight delivery, and they will pretty soon be having uh, same-day delivery. And you can also come in and pick up what you need. They do have curbside. Uh, top 8 allergen-free meals. Vegan, um, and they also will be having low carb, high cro- high protein meals coming up very soon. Carefree Cuisine at carefreecuisine.com and at Cuisine Carefree on Twitter. When you do talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Know Your History. I think this is number six, yeah, right around there. Um, we uh, there's going to be a new um, ESPN mega documentary that they pushed up because of the coronavirus pandemic um, on the last season of Jordan's dynastic bulls in the ninety seven ninety eight season. Um, it's interesting when thinking about it because many people believe that Jordan erroneously, in my view, that Jordan's last three championship teams were his best. And it has always been my contention that due to the state of the league and where things had changed fundamentally while Jordan was out of the league, um, altered the way the league was. And it didn't, it took them until basically 2003 to recover. Um, And that one event was the, the, Canadian expansion in 1995 or the Vancouver Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. Uh, it is very, it's hard to kind of convey how much fundamentally the league changed in 1995 when uh, Canadian expansion began and the decision in about 93, 94 to grant Canadian expansion back then. And here is kind of that subcontext, and this is why I believe Jordan's first three championships were more impressive and more meaningful. Um, item number one: from 1991 to 1993, well, basically 90 to 93, um, Jordan had to go through the Bad Boy Pistons. He had to go through an up-and-coming Indiana Pacers team. He had to go through the New York Knicks, which in 90, by 91-92 had become a formidable team with Pat Riley as coach. 
Um, he had to go through the Cleveland Cavaliers with uh, Brad Doherty, Mark Price, and Craig Elo. And in the finals, uh, the first one, the Lakers, that team had no business being in the finals. Um, that Lakers team was... Uh, that Lakers team was uh, not as good as the other really Lakers teams. That, that had Magic Johnson and Vladi Divac. That was that team. Um, 92, he faced a very good Portland team, which had just played in the finals a uh, year before, two years before. Uh, and in 93, he played maybe the best of all the teams that Jordan played, the, the 93 uh, Barkley MVP year Phoenix Suns. The competition on, in that time was still good. Now, the competition in the NBA really began to dilute in 1988. Well, that was the first expansion year. They, the league expanded by four teams in 88 and 89. And then to bring it from uh, 23 teams to 27 teams. Uh, the league could bear it, though, and the competition relatively remained the same. Um, many people, myself included, and my friend Andy Feinstein, believe that the 87-88 year was maybe the peak year of the NBA ever. Every team had a star. Every team was consistently quality. Um, it was a different kind of thing. It was you know, 23 teams. You're going to have a large concentration of talent. And even the Dallas Mavericks had, you know, Rolando Blackman, Mark McGuire, and Roy Tarpley, and uh, Donaldson. And, and like the, the, the Nuggets had Alex English, uh, you know, Fat Lever. It's just the NBA at that time was highly concentrated, and then it expanded because it was getting more popular by 87, 88, due to the Lakers and the Celtics really boosting the, the league and from about 80. To 83 to 88 really boosted the league in its popularity. But the league could bear it, and the new teams that came in were generally poor. Um, they really didn't um, affect how things were going to be played fundamentally. So those first three Bulls teams uh, from 91, 1991 to 92-93 were a fundamentally different animal. They faced brutal, brutal contests. And if anyone wants an idea of how brutal things were, a semifinal series in 1992 featured a Knicks team that wasn't yet what they would become the next two years, um, just brutalized the Bulls, absolutely brutalized them, um, much like the Pistons did. But the Knicks did it in a more aggressive fashion, and uh, with the likes of Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason and the people like that just gooning people up, the Bulls had to really be resilient um, if you listen, listen to interviews at the time. In fact, both the 92 um, series they played against the Knicks and the 93 uh, Easter Conference Final Series they played um, are, are all on, on uh, YouTube. I would check them out to see just how physical these games were. Um, <clears throat> it was, it was a strategy employed, like I said, it was started by the Pistons with the Jordan rules and carried on and was really the spiritual successor was the New York Knicks by this point. Also, you got the tail end of the Boston Celtics, which by that point, Bird was so bad, um, and his back was so out of sorts that he couldn't 
lift the Celtics anymore. That really was the end of the Celtics at that point. Um, in so the first three Jordan teams, um, and now that like I said, the first one against the, the, that Lakers team, it, that Lakers team they lost four one, and it really wasn't that close. That that Lakers team was not that good. Uh, that was uh, uh, Magic Johnson's last hurrah as he was diagnosed with HIV in the offseason of 1991. The, uh, actually, not really, it was actually the beginning of the season, actually, if I remember correctly. It was like November, wasn't it? Or maybe it was before that. Um, so that really kind of took them out of it. But the 92 series against that Portland team was, that Portland team was really good. It had Clyde Drexler, uh, Kevin Duckworth, Jerome Kersey, Cliff Robinson, a uh, still viable Danny Ainge, who would play a factor in the next series for the Phoenix Suns. Um, it was a this the these that was a stacked and loaded Portland team. And after getting a barrage of three pointers in the game one, which is a famous shrug game for Michael Jordan when he shrugged at Marv Albert after he hit three pointer number six. <laughs> um, <clears throat> The uh, the the next game was a, an overtime thriller, uh, which the Danny Ainge actually led the team after Clyde Drexler fouled out, and led them back. Now the Bulls regained their momentum and uh, kind of closed the you know the game. It, it was the, the series ended in six. Um, the that's when they do the two three two format because that was started when because the often the the Lakers and the Celtics were having to travel across country obviously that's not the same way anymore thank god uh but the the that was that so uh there was three games in Portland uh the Bulls won two of the three games in Portland and then closed it out at home the the final series the penultimate of the Jordan the first Jordan era was against the Phoenix Suns. And before I get into that, I need to talk about factor number two. No one knew Jordan was going to retire by this point, uh, obviously. And no one knew that... I think people had an inkling that the NBA was going to expand again. But that expansion, no one one knew what kind of form it would take. No one knew exactly how that would um, affect the league, so to speak. Well... It was. It came down that uh, Canadian expansion was in the works, and it was announced that Vancouver and Toronto would be the new places, and they would start in 1995. So, they play the, the Barclays Suns, and I'm going to kind of hold off talking about the Suns series until the end of this run here, because it's People misremember that series uh, and the context of that series and how the way it came about. Because every game, every single game of that series was close. Um, much like what would happen at the uh, tail end of their second run of three series. Jordan retires in 93. Obviously, the Bulls are set back a bit. Although you could argue that one of their best team runs and best coaching job Phil Jackson ever did was that first Jordanless year in in. 1994, 93-94, where the Bulls ran almost exclusively the triangle system and had Tony Kukoc and all that. 
and they came in and basically just exclusively running triangle managed to uh, win 55 games, which was incredible considering Jordan wasn't there. That is the year of the New York Knicks um, hitting their peak, which you could argue their peak was actually the year before when they won 60 games and were the first seed in the in the Eastern Conference. They were two seed the next year, kind of messed around all year, but managed to, and because of the, the Atlanta Hawks and some curious decisions they made, including trading Dominique Wilkins, um, caused them to flame out early uh, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, the, the Knicks hit their peak then, and then it culminated in the OJ series. Um, that's been covered quite a bit. One of the great curiosities in not only NBA history, but sports history. 94-95, Jordan unretires. Uh, the Orlando Magic were on the ascendancy. They make it to uh, the finals, and obviously we all know that the uh, Houston Rockets ended up sweeping them, um, and it really was what began when Nick Anderson missed four three throws in a row in that game, but in uh, no, game one. But all that aside, Jordan came back. The uh, the Orlando Magic made quick work of the Bulls in that scenario. But Jordan came back late in that year. He was wearing number 45, everyone remembers. Um, it was different. Uh, it, it was Jordan wasn't yet Jordan. We need to talk about the Canadian expansion and how that was a tipping point for how bad the league was going to become. Another decision that was made in the interim was to move the three-point line in about half a foot. And the theory on that was that they were going to encourage more three-point shots. But what it did was decrease spacing. Basically all that did. And the NBA kind of knew it because the, the, the three-point line arc being in that much only lasted, I think, for two seasons. But the style of play you can basically tell got much worse about 95, 96. Uh, people always associate the early 90s with the late 90s, and that's wrong. Early 90s was actually good basketball. It was brutal. It was physical. It was tough. You had teams like the Knicks and, on, and you know, even the Cavs were kind of a slow-down team, um, really trying to you know, grind games out defensively. Um, really, which in a, a trend that was started by the Bad Boy Pistons. Um, don't confuse that with 95-96 to basically 2003-4-5. There was almost a decade of basketball that was not only slow and stodgy, but it was it was hampered by the fact that the talent in the league diluted tremendously. And no bigger example of that was the 95-96 year when the Bulls won 70, a record 72 games. Um, let's be quite honest here. The 72 wins were likely a result of the expansion that year. Um, like I said, talent in the league was diluted. Teams were markedly worse that year. Um, and you can tell the 70-win anomaly anomalous teams tend to come in in special circumstance years. 
the 73-win uh, uh, Golden State Warriors was during a year when I believe the percentage of teams that were tanking that year was unusually high for the NBA, right? The quality of opponents in the, in the in that year was not tremendous. Um, the that that seventy three win uh, team benefited tremendously from the hinkyization of several teams, whether they knew it or not. The seventy two win Bulls teams benefited from Canadian expansion, um, and in something which I think maybe uh, David Stern regrets, it wasn't the locations. But it was choosing to expand when they did, which was really six years after the last expansion. And what that did was dilute the talent to such an extent where there was really shitty play. 95-96 to all, all, all the way to 99, when the 8-98 when the lockout happened, quality of play was started going down, down, and down. So to compensate, teams, particularly in the Eastern Conference, were playing a rough style of play. It was a lot of ISO. It was a lot of dump it down to the post. Um, if you watch the games from 90, the first bowl era from 90 to 93, then you watch from 95 to 98, it is a completely different approach and the quality of play, you will notice immediately, was worse. Now, that Bulls team had, obviously, Ron Harper, Steve Kerr, Tony Kukoc, Jordan Pippen, uh, and Dennis Rodman. Ostensibly, a better, quote-unquote, better team. Um, and that's why this is so frustrating, because that Bulls team in 95-96 was genuinely really good. But the quality of play in the NBA was so diminished in the, from the, in the second half of the 90s that it led to extremely poor um, decision-making. Um, a lot of it was heralded by the, uh, the draft picks that came in, were, which were really ISO-heavy, um, particularly Allen Iverson. It wasn't his fault. But he was so good at one thing that you could, the league kind of formed around that, too. And le- it was less about post-play than it was about isolation play. And the Bulls, particularly that first year, were able to take advantage of it. And then they beat the Seattle Supersonics, who were a good team um, that year, George Carl's only finals appearance. They beat that, that uh, George Carl's team uh, Four games to two in a, a series that was very nearly a sweep. Um, that Sonics team won 66 games that year. It was a lot of games. And uh, it was still, they weren't as good as, I think, their, their, the, the peak Sonics team was the 93-94 team. Um, Hersey Hawkins helped them a lot, but it, it still wasn't that good. Anyway... And then the Bulls end up playing the Utah Jazz twice. What is anomal- What is interesting about the 97-98 Bulls is you could tell that they ran out of gas. And you could tell they ran out of gas midway through that year. The teams were really taking them to the woodshed. Um, they were getting beat in ways that they hadn't got beat before. Um, Scottie Pippen was disgruntled the entire year um, due to 
you know, the Bulls locking him up to years before to a contract that he didn't like and uh, him not being able to make any money. And obviously that culminated in what happened in the offseason. Um, but that, that Bulls team just they were off. And then they get to the playoffs and you could see them struggling in ways that you never saw the Bulls struggle before. Kind of like in that 92-93 um, although that Bulls team was younger, and uh, at least Jordan was younger, and it masks a lot of the de- deficiencies. And I'll cover, like I said, I'll cover the 92-93 Bulls championship after this. But 97-98, which will be covered in this ESPN documentary, no greater example of how the Bulls were struggling was the Indiana Pacers in Larry Bird's first year as coach. Really should have beaten those Bulls. Um, they had opportunities to close out a, close out the series and didn't take advantage of it, and that Bulls team was on the ropes, and you could make a very convincing argument to me that that Pacers team should have beaten that Bulls team. Um, that Bulls team hit a wall so thoroughly that actually you could, you could make a, and once again, I'm saying it again, but you make a convincing argument that their that their victory against the against the uh, Utah Jazz in the '98 series was even more notable because that team got old really suddenly, and the things that were working the two years before were not working now. And I think, in a way, Phil Jackson knew what was happening. Phil Jackson knew that this that this Bulls team was not long, and the way they struggled, particularly down the stretch and in the playoffs that year, um, would indicate that that was the end was nigh, so to speak. They get to that finals, and and the Bulls gutted it out, and it's probably because they were just naturally a more talented team than that Utah team was. And which kind of tells you the state of the Western Conference at that time was not tremendous. Um, you had a Houston team that was definitely on its last legs that had rejiggered their. That believe by this point Charles Barkley was on, was on the uh, a a perpetually injured Charles Barkley was on the on the Rockets. Um, you had an up and coming uh, San Antonio team. That with uh, Tim Duncan, that was you know almost there, um, and that really would come to fruition the next season in the in the lockout shortened season. Um, you had Phoenix Suns, which had rejiggered again um, under with uh, Antonio McDice and uh, coached by Danny Ainge, and uh, had Rex Chapman and uh, Jason Kidd. Um, but it really wasn't a tremendous Western Conference, and the Eastern Conference wasn't that great either. You had an old Knicks team. You had a Miami Heat team coached by Pat Riley that was good, um, but was dreadful to watch, but it was really good. And Tim Hardaway, um, Alonzo Mourning, Dan Marley, again, another Phoenix Sun, helping them out. But it really wasn't that tremendous. The, the best thing that happened at the Heat was the New York Knicks, and those two teams fighting things out in 97 and 98. The Bulls win. Obviously, the, the lockout happens. And people tend to, due to the fact that the last three 
the last three uh, Bulls teams were the most recent, they tend to think about those. And, of course, that team, that run, can, you know, coincided with the 72-win Bulls team, which was good, no doubt. And you can make a definite, like, I'm not going to argue with anyone who wants to say that that Bulls team was the best team. I mean, 72 wins, you're going to argue with that. My contention is the league was so, the quality of play was so bad in the late 90s that it diminishes what they did in the, the last three championships. Uh, it really does. Those last three Bulls run, those last three title runs were just so hampered by how poor the league was playing at that time and how, <clears throat> just in general, because of expansion and how the league was so diluted by this point. And it, like I said, it didn't recover until to the 2003 draft. It really was that time that the league began to recover. And with due respect to the Shaq, uh, Kobe, Lakers teams of the early 2000s, those... That run right there at the late 90s and even into the early 2000s, there was some hard-to-watch basketball at that time. And a lot of the with the overcorrection that you've seen today with the rules changes was a result of what happened from 95 to 2003-2004. And the lack of spacing, you know, Shaquille O'Neal's dominance, all that stuff culminated in the rules changes, and I cover that in the very first Know Your History. Before I start talking about the 92-93 finals, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wine. Uh, look, there's no reason you need to go over that wine. Uh, there's a location here in Denver that is selling wine for curbside pickup and delivery in town in the city of Denver. Uh, great wine, Reds, uh, Pien, uh, Cabernet, Pinot, uh, a Riesling from a partnership with a uh, Western Slope Vineyard. Um, they have Got a great selection of meats and cheeses, charcuterie, all that stuff that can be delivered to you, or you can go down to their location uh, between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, right in the middle of the dairy block to go pick up, take down if you need some wine, and if you just want to have like a date night with people in your house or anything like that, or if you just are in the mood to grab some great wine, all their wine bottles are 20% off right now. So it's a great time to, to order online, to call, do whatever. Uh, Blanchett Family Wines on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they are maybe the best place in Denver if you really want to have a great, great, you know, great tasting wine from a family-owned vineyard in Sonoma County, California. Um, one of my favorite places in Denver, and I will definitely be, it will be the place I first go to. When everything reopens, whenever that will be. Once again, Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you there. The 92-93 series, the Phoenix Suns, in my view, were the easily the most stacked team that ever faced the Bulls in the finals. Um, aside from Dan Marley, Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson, Danny Ainge coming off the bench, you had David West as the center, a, a not yet the size of a mountain Oliver Miller, um, all these, all these players and all these combination of style of play, the, the Phoenix Suns were fun, 
fun before they became fun again in the mid two thousands. Um, that Phoenix Suns team uh, was just Cedric Sabalos. It, it just they were a team that you could get behind. I remember the Denver Nuggets beat them in the last game of the regular season on a Chris Jackson shot at the end of the game. Now, of course, that Phoenix team really wasn't running and gunning to win that game, but it was a great moment because that Phoenix team was so good. So going into that finals, you kind of knew that there could be something special. The way the finals played out was weird. The Bulls won both game one and game two, and they were in Phoenix. And there was like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I mean, game two, Charles Barkley scored 42. Um, This was peak Barkley. This was, I mean, I believe this was his ninth year in the league, and this was right before his body started breaking down. Just this is the year before. The next year he started into perpetual back trouble, basically, is what happened to Barkley, and he got increasingly out of shape. But at this time, this was peak Barkley, and Barkley, who was Jordan's buddy, was a sight to behold. Um, He was shooting threes, he was crashing the boards, he was scoring, he was putting up huge points, he was unstoppable. Barkley, at this moment, was peak Barkley. And you could make an argument, and I'm saying this a lot in this part of the podcast, but this this Phoenix Suns team, if any team was going to dethrone the Bulls outside of the Eastern Conference Finals in 1998 with the Pacers, if any team was going to dethrone the Bulls, it would have been this one. Uh, this, this Phoenix team had all the makings. And a, a, a collision of circumstances, but primarily... Barkley hurting his wrist really hampered their ability to to win this series. Every game was within 10 points in this series. Every game was within, and obviously we, everyone remembers John Paxson's game-winning shot in game six. But this this series played out in a in a in an insane way. And in, in fact, game three in Chicago was one of the most insane games I've ever seen. It was a triple overtime game. Once again, Danny Ainge played a huge part in him in these overtime games in the 90s. Um, really was an epic game. And, and the, the Phoenix Suns won two out of three in Chicago. You know, that, that is unheard of. Um, and they went back to Phoenix down 3-2. And if it wasn't for Paxson hitting that shot, uh, that that Phoenix team would have gone to seven games, and I bet you they would have won that series. I bet you they would have won that series. The, the the Bulls have benefited largely from being just a better team, and this is one of the things that really you know some people hate about the NBA. Some people love the best team always wins, generally in, because due to series and talent consolidation, the best team always wins, generally, unless it was. 94 when the Nuggets won that first round series. Uh, but this, this generally the best team always wins. And the Phoenix Suns at that moment in time were a, just a great, fun team that ended up having a series of calamities <laughs> befall them after this. 
um, run. I mean, if there was ever a team that was poised to take advantage of Jordan's retirement, it was the Phoenix Suns, right? That's what everyone thought. Then Barkley hurts his back, and things don't go as well. And add it to the list of the almosts. Jordan's team, 92-93 team, was not as good as the previous year. I maintain the 91-92 Bulls was the best team basketball team I've ever seen, personally. 91-92 Bulls, the shrug Michael Jordan era, that was the best. The next year, they weren't quite as good. Bill Cartwright was kind of old by that point. Um, they weren't, you know, John Paxson, Paxson was ancient by that point. Um... Once again, old age was starting to take advantage of them, even though, uh, even though Pippen and Jordan were not as old as everyone else was. You know, Horace Grant was still there. You know, great power forward, underrated power forward. But that Phoenix Tens team was easily, easily the best team the Jordan era ever faced. And with maybe the Portland Trailblazers the previous year right under that, but that was a better Bulls team. You think about the way that series played out, and you think about the missed opportunities, particularly in Game 2. Um, uh, the, the Suns should have won that series, that game. They win Game 2. They, Once again, they win Game 2, they win that series, and they win Game 6, they win that series. Um, it's just it rides on a just a hair's breadth of distance between success and failure. And the Phoenix Suns were right there. And one of my favorite teams to watch in the NBA Ever, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever really. I mean, uh, the next know your history. I'm going to be talking about my love of the '90s Knicks, which is going to raise some hackles here. But that Phoenix Suns team in '92, '93 was fun. It was fun, and it was a really, really. The series could have been different than it was, and if only if only John Paxson doesn't hit that shot. That basically is what it is. So. Anyway, thank you for joining me on the latest Know Your History. Uh, I will be talking to you guys soon with hopefully another uh, great Mordcast. I'll talk to you later. Bye.